What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Clinton Sparks here with us. Clinton Sparks is an American DJ, record producer, songwriter, radio personality, and marketer from Boston, Massachusetts. In 2012, he was nominated for a Grammy for his production work on Lady Gaga's Born This Way. That year, he also won a BMI Songwriting Award for writing Pitbull's Shut It Down and has since won several ASCAP awards with DJ Snake as part of his Get Familiar Music Publishing Company. He has written and produced songs for a number of notable acts, including Akon, Ludacris, 2 Chains, Ty Dolla Sign, Lil Uzi Vert, Big Sean, and numerous others. He is the current host of Get Familiar Radio on Dash Radio, a digital radio platform for which he also serves as Vice President of Business Development and has helped the company close an $8.8 million funding round. Sparks also serves as the Director of Business Development for the esports team FaZe Clan. That being said, before we dive into the podcast with Clinton, please take a moment to share this podcast with a friend and make sure to check out Clinton's new book, How to Win Big in the Music Business, that was forwarded by Damon John because he just published it and it is an absolute phenomenal book. I already got my copies pre-ordered, so make sure you take some moment to check it out. And that being said, enjoy the episode. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, we have Clinton Sparks here on the show. Thanks so much for coming on, Clinton. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing, man. I appreciate it as well, man. So number one, you have such an incredible career that I'm excited to dive into, not only in the music world, but just from a business perspective. And for the people that may not know who you are and what you've done throughout your career, I'd love for you to give some insight into what it is, as well as touch on the the book that you have coming out soon before we dive into the story. Oh, man. I, man, this is, I have to figure out a condensed version of answering this question because it's the main question I get. And one, it's hard to uh, really highlight yourself and put yourself in the, in the spotlight and say, here's why I'm awesome, right? Yeah. Um, like, uh, so I'm a Grammy nominated. So basically, I'm an entrepreneur, investor, marketer, uh, executive, uh, disguised as a Grammy nominated multi-platinum producer DJ. <laughs> Love it. So, uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, it wasn't that I became successful in the music business and then by default started learning other businesses. Yep. It, was, it was really the opposite. It was, I really knew that I wanted to be uh, in business and I wanted to be behind the scenes. Yep. Um, and I used uh, music as a vehicle to, to get me to a place where um, you know, look at when and people in business from, from banking to, you know, financing to whatever it is, they all want to be down with the cool, right? Yep. Music is cool, right? So like, I knew that if I built myself up and, and had success in the music business, that there's a cool factor to being successful and working with the biggest names in music that, you know, it opens the doors for people to realize how great your mind is and how uh, the great ideas that you have. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my career, I've sat with CEOs of, you know, Fortune 500 companies, and after they hear me talk, they're like, "Aren't you a DJ?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. 
you know, it, it's so cool because, I mean, you have so many different high achievements in your career. And I know that you're also the VP of business development at FaZe Clan. I'd love for you to touch on how you got involved with FaZe because that's such a, you know, I think for someone that's my age, 19, that has, you know, always heard about FaZe to see the business moves they're making now to see it unfold. Um, you've had a, you played a key role in that. So I'd love for you to touch on just when you got involved with FaZe and what you do at FaZe. Sure. How I got involved was um, my buddy, uh, Greg Selko. He was the founder of a website called KarmaLoop.com. KarmaLoop.com has sold a billion in retail, um, billion dollars in retail. And uh, it was the world's largest streetwear uh, fashion website uh, throughout the 2000s. Um, so, you know, I was over there doing uh, marketing and stuff for that company with him. And, you know, we brought everybody from Kanye to Pusher to Travi McCoy to Bun B to Jay-Z. Everybody was like, uh, wanted to be down with Karma Loop. Um, and we really, we really innovated a lot when it came to like affiliate marketing, okay. uh, you know, even like live streaming. We were streaming like, man, over a decade ago, right? And yeah. doing funny like streamathons. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so we were doing that. We blew that up. We were shaping and shifting the culture as it related to kind of fashion and music and all these things combined so fast forward to about you know two and a half years ago uh greg calls me one day and says i need you we're in la and he yep. goes i need you to come to this office real quick here's the address i'm like what's up he goes just get here <laughs> so i go there and as i walk in the the, the, the room the the floor it, it reminded me of like you know the wolf of wall street or yep. boiler room right it was just like everyone's running around it's like Hey, we got to do it. I'm like, man, what's going on here? Yeah. And he, was like, he goes, dude, there's this new company called FaZe Clan, right? He goes, I'm about to get involved and, and become like the CEO or president of this company. And I need you. I need your brain to be here. Yeah. He's like, you're going you're gonna to kill it in this space. So at that moment, I didn't really know what esports was all about. You know what I mean? And quite frankly, neither did he. You yeah. know what I mean? So um, a, a lot of us did it that actually got involved that day. Um, so after I wrapped my head around it and I, after about a week, I'm like, I could see, like, I could see 10 years already ahead. Yeah. I could see like, what we could do, what, what it could connect to, what's not ha happening, how it can grow, uh, where it can make money, like all the ancillary businesses that could be built around it. Um, so that, that was when we officially started phase plan as a, as a business. Cause prior to that, it was really uh, a bunch of kids that just created a really popular brand and, yep. you know, a big following. But there was no infrastructure, there was no business model, there was nothing in place. So once we all got in place, we kind of shaped, it, that, shaped that up and uh, started moving forward and figured out how can we amplify and, and create tremendous value with this brand that yeah. these kids, no disrespect to them, but they had no business experience. So they don't yeah. understand. They don't understand anything about sustainability, scalability, financing, network, you know, they don't, they don't get that. And nor should they. They should just do what they're dope at doing yep. at, at that time. Totally. You know what I mean? and, and so you wouldn't expect, you know, young kids to know all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I got involved. Now it was a little over two years ago. Very cool. Now you guys have been crushing it, man. So how did this all start, man? When did you become a DJ? How did that career path come into your life coming from Boston? So, um, I was a lonely kid. Um, I didn't really have any friends. Uh, we were broke. My dad left us. My mom worked two jobs. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, and, you know, I was a white kid growing up in, in a predominantly black neighborhoods. 
So um, I didn't really, music was my best friend. All I did was listen to the radio, right? I sat in my room and I either played Atari or I listened to my radio. Um, and, you know, throughout time, I would, t I would take versions of the songs when I was a kid and I would take a musical part and I would loop it on my mom's dual cassette deck and I would like try to write new songs to those loops. Uh, so that was the beginning of me really becoming fascinated with music and realizing it was in me. Um, so then as I got a little bit older, um, I started, I really wanted to be a songwriter. I wanted to be a rapper, a songwriter, and a producer. I wanted to be behind the scenes, uh, but then I also used to, like around, in my city, I was a pretty popular uh, producer and artist. I'd win like all the talent shows. Uh, I even opened up for major artists at the Boston Garden uh, one time. Yep. So. Uh, I really wanted to be behind the scenes and nobody would pay attention to this white kid from Boston. So what I ended up doing is I realized that I was friends with the big radio DJ in my city and I would hear when he would tell them about me, oh, this guy, Clinton, you should listen to him. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, cool. Hey, you're going to play my record. So when I heard them really care about him playing their the major labels records, I was like, ah, I need to become a DJ. If I become a DJ, one, I can play my own music. And two, all of these people will want to be my friend instead of me begging to be their friend. Yeah. And then just by default or out of courtesy, they'll have to listen to me when I give them something. So I realized that early on, and I called a big radio company called Super Radio, which is a syndicated uh, radio uh, show uh, company. And I kept calling them saying, hey, my name's Clinton Sparks, my name's Clinton Sparks, I got this music, I got this music. And they just kept saying, yeah, whatever, whatever, we don't know you, we got enough people. So one day I found out the address and it was in my state. So I drove there um, and I just showed up at the guy's door and they were like, yeah, he doesn't have time to see you. Uh, and I was like, look at man, uh, I'm gonna sit here until you guys see me. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So I sat in the lobby and I waited like five hours for this guy to come out and it was the end of the day and he was, he was like leaving the office and he realized in the peripheral vision, he realized how I was standing, he's kind of like, ah, oh, this kid. So he comes over, he goes, hey, man, I'm getting ready to leave. You want to just leave your CD? I'll listen to it. I was like, listen, I'm not going to stop harassing you. Either you give me five minutes of your time right now, and if you don't like me or like what you hear, you'll never have to hear or be bothered from me again. Or within five minutes, you'll find a champion without even looking, right? And then he was like, all right, he puts his bag down. We go in his office. He's listening to the, my, my music and stuff. And I, you know when someone's like, from behind, you can see them smile because their cheek comes out. So like, <laughs> yeah. I see him smiling, so I'm like, I got him, right? So he turns around with a straight face, he's like, this is you? And I was like, yeah. I go, if you, if you skip to the next track, you'll hear some remixes I produced too. So he heard those and he was like, well, this is really good, you know, let me get back to you. The next day, the owner, John Garabedian, he owned Super Radio, uh, he calls me and he goes, hey, we heard your music, this, this, and that. We want to hire you starting this weekend uh, and by the way, we don't usually pay our DJs. We want to pay you. Wow. Right? So that was basically the beginning. I mean, there's so many stories I could tell you as my career, especially beginning and how I elevated. But that was the beginning of me aggressively realizing what I want to do and making sure I made it happen. Yeah. What was the you know, pivoting point that happened from that moment to starting to work with all of these prestigious names in hip-hop because you've worked with dozens of the you know top names in the world how did that happen well one i talk about all that in my new book how to win big in the music business with the yeah. forward written by shark tanks damon john 
But the Cliff Note version is, uh, once I got on the radio, I understood, so I, I, I'm really analytical and I pay attention to everybody and everything. What's their agenda? Like, what is he thinking about? Why is he here? What's his objective? Why doesn't this work? How much money they're leaving on the table? So when I walk in a room, I'm like, I'm like a robot where it just scans everything, right? It's just like analyzes. Blah, 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 blah. So once I got on the radio, um, I realized and understood radio's objective. I understood artist's objective. I understood label's objective, advertisers' objectives. So then uh, I also realized a thing called promotional runs which is what labels would do with their artists where they would take an artist and bring them down like a certain region to yep. different radio stations to promote their new album. So once I realized that, I positioned myself, uh, like as the saying goes, like, you, uh, was Wayne Gretzky's quote, uh, you don't go to where the puck is, you go to where the puck's gonna be, yep. right? So I, I, I called radio stations strategically in the states that they would be going on a run and got hired and made sure that I, I was so dope that they hired me. Yeah, yeah. So I was in Boston, Connecticut, New York, Baltimore. I was live in four states, four cities on four stations live every week. I was personally there. Wow. Like I would literally be in Boston, Connecticut, New York, and Baltimore every single week for two years, wow. right? Yeah. On my own dime too, by the way. And I, and I was broke. I figured it out, right? And that's one of the things, you know, people now, and I'll get back to this, but a lot of times people will look and say someone successful like me and be like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you got this going on, or you got money, or you did this. And it's like, no, it's easy for me to say because I was just like you, and I didn't have shit, and I figured it out and became a millionaire. So yeah, it is easy for me to show you what to do because I fucking did it. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't have any special privileges. I didn't have any connections. No one gave me any money. I didn't. In fact, all the odds were against me in the way that I was trying to build. I was a white guy from Boston trying to make it in hip hop, which was black in New York. Everything was against me, right? So, um, so back to the radio. So then I, once I got on all those stations, when you know, big artists would start seeing me every day at a different station, it would behoove them to be my friend because I hold the cards. I can break you as an artist. I can play you in all these different markets and promote you. So then I would just start becoming friends with all these artists because they realized how valuable I was to them and that would begin our friendship. Yeah, that's so dope, man. You have so many like just epic stories, man. I wanna to touch on something that you posted on Instagram recently about Akon and just what went into creating Sorry Blame It On Me that has over 300 million views on YouTube. You played a key role in that. How did that happen? Because I know you, you, this is the caption, you said, when I wrote and produced this song, I made enough money to buy a house in 30 minutes. Here's why. And then you explained it in the caption that I'll make sure to link below. But it fascinated me when I read this because the concept and the way you broke that down, it made me think differently about what I'm doing, right? So I'd love you to talk about that story and what that song means to you. You know, first, first what you just said is pretty remarkable. And I'm not sure if you know, most people, successful people that are in my position realize uh, the privilege and the fortunate um, uh, position they're in. Like, for instance, I had no idea. What, when, I, when I write these things, I write them to share stories, right? Yeah. I don't really write them knowing, like, aha, I'm going to make you think different now. You know what I mean? And, like, when I hear stuff like that from somebody, it's really profound, and it really encourages me to want to keep sharing stories and want to keep sharing, like, the tidbits and the tools and, and the anecdotes that I've figured out to help me, you know, overcome and become successful. And, you know, it's funny, I, I write them, one, because I just like writing and sharing, yeah. right? 
And then two, I write them because I, I guess I, I guess people will be entertained by them, but I don't really realize how uh, effective they are at helping people actually. The first time I went and spoke to a bunch of students, it was in Canada. And my friend goes, hey, you're coming to do a show in Canada. Can you come to my school? He was a teacher. Yep. I said, yeah, of course. So I show up as a Saturday afternoon. And I'm in the school, and it's like, it's like a full active school day. Uh -huh. I'm like, what do you guys have, school on Saturday? Why is it so packed? And he was like, no, everyone's here for you. And I was like, go? <laughs> Wait, what? And he was like, yeah, dude, everyone's excited. And there's like 80 kids there, right? And I'm like, dude, I'm not prepared for this. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I thought you wanted me to talk to like two or three kids yeah. in your class and some questions about music or something. Yeah. And he goes, no, man, like everyone's pumped. Let's just don't worry, you'll be fine. So this is, this is the very first time I ever like did like a speaking engagement, if you will, right? And, and I didn't know it was a speaking engagement, right? So I'm sitting here in a chair with like, you know, kids all around me, the whole room's packed, standing, sitting, kneeling, everything, right? So I start talking and it was the first time I realized in my life um, that I had a lot of value to add. Because, you know, you go back to my childhood where you know, your dad's not around, your mother works a lot, you know, you've been bullied, you were sexually abused, like, you don't feel valuable, like, you don't feel like what you have to say is important, and you think you don't matter, right, mm -hmm. so, like, and, and I still suffer from that, right, where it's like, ah, who cares what I have to say, right, <laughs> and then, as I, when I did that, it was my very first moment, uh, which I still have the same insecurities, but even at that moment, I realized, because I was answering questions, and they just came so easy to me, and, like, people would tell me things that they were doing, and I would literally have a whole business plan that made what they were doing 10 times better. Yep. And as, as I'm telling them, I know how dope what I'm saying is, right? And, like, and I know that it's going to work. But like, and like, I mean, literally, like, there, were, there were teenagers that cried. There were people that came up and hugged me, like, I'm going to change my whole way of thinking because of you. I was signing autographs, taking pictures. Yep. And like, you know, that was one remarkable uh, moment in that. Uh, the, the realization of the value that I have to offer. But another side story within that was when I first got there, and I learned a really valuable lesson that hopefully someone will hear this and learn something too. And, you know, the, the age-old saying, never judge a book by its cover. And I made the mistake of doing it that day, and I've never done it since. What happened was I walked in, there was this tall kid. He kind of looked, you know, disheveled. He, he, didn't, he, he seemed homeless, right? And he walked up, and he was like, you know, all kind of creepy. He walked up like, the yo sparks. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He goes, hey, man, can I just, can I just talk to you for, for a minute on the side? So I'm thinking, because I'm so used to this, this is a wannabe rapper that's going to tell me he's the best rapper alive. You know, I got to listen to his demo, this, this, and that. And, and I'm like, and I'm just like, yeah, man, you know, let's catch up after I'm done doing this. So in my mind, I was thinking that. Like, okay, it's just another rapper, dude, right? And, which I feel like a dick now that I thought like that. So after I was done speaking and, you know, literally the whole crowd's walking with me to the elevator. Like they're so enamored from the value that I just gave them. Right. So then the kid's at the front of the elevator and he's like, I didn't even see how he got there. And he's right there. And he's like, yo, can we have that talk now? And I was like, ah, oh. I was like, yeah, what's up, man? He goes, can we talk over here? And there was like two security guards with me. And, uh, and I go, yeah, what's up? And he goes, can you just walk over here? I was like, sure. So I walk over a little bit and then he goes, can we just go out here? And it was like on the stairwell. So it was the exit door. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm also a little nervous. I'm thinking, is this a stand? You know what I mean? Is this someone that wants to cause harm? Yep. So security's looking at me like, yo, are you good? And I'm just like, yeah, because there was something I felt. First of all, like, I'll, I'm from Boston, man. If he just makes one move, like, I'm yeah. going right to the, the Adam's apple, right? But anyways, um, 
So I'm like, yeah. So we're, he's in the hallway and I'm there with the door open and my foot holding the door. So he goes, so I get emotional when I tell the story. So I'm going to try not to. So he, uh, he starts shaking a little bit. And I'm like, I'm looking at him like a little like skeptical, like what's going on? Is he about to snap on me? So then he goes, sorry, man, I just need a minute. Like, I just, I just can't believe I'm, I'm in front of you. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, he goes, you just, you just don't know what you mean to me. And I was like, see, I'm starting to get emotional now. And then, um, so I go, what's wrong, man? Are you okay? And he goes, um, yeah, I just, I don't really know what to say to you. He goes, I just want to tell you how important you are to me. Um, I read your story about your life and, uh, and how you came from nothing and how you work really hard to get to where you are now. And you're such a big inspiration to me that I wanted to be just like you. So then I'm just like, you know, in the moment, I wasn't emotional. In the moment, I always, when people that are broken, they just play things off. They eat a joke or they just, and I'm just like, oh, it's okay, man. I put my hand on his shoulder and he looks at me. He's kind of like, his, his eyes are a little watery. And he goes, I wanted to be you so much that I, um, I was homeless and I started work doing side jobs so I can get myself into a little, uh, like a shelter place. And then I went to the local club here and I went to meet with the manager and I asked him, can I come in here a few hours before you guys open on the weekend so I can practice DJing to be like Clinton Sparks. And, and, um, and I was like, you don't realize like, you know, I still feel like I'm just a fucking loser from Boston trying to get people familiar. Right. And like, I don't realize the impact that I have on people or that people look to you for answers yep. or guidance or to relate to, to, to troubled times you went through. And if they see you did it, if there's something about you that inspires them, they realize they can do it too. Right. And, and I'm just like, first of all, I was like, dude, that's fucking dope. I would have never thought about asking a manager to use their turntables. That's genius. Yeah. They thought of that. Right. And I was like, and they're like, you know, we hugged and stuff. And I go, I gave him my number. I said, call me. And been like, you know, if you need any tips, like I'll help you and walk you through it and stuff. But like, you know, that was the moment that I realized how much impact that people that have people that are trustworthy, right? Cause a lot of people on the internet that are just like full of shit and just like selling you fake game, fake inspiration, right? It's literally just a business to them, right? They don't really, they don't actually give a shit about you. They give a shit about flashing and flexing, you know, how killer they are on the internet. Right. And it's like, I'm not a flashy dude at all. Right? I don't, I don't spend money on things. I got a, I got a, I got an eco-friendly car. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, like, you know, I, I have enough money. I can go buy a Lambo if I want, but why? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I'd rather use that money to help people. <clears throat> so, uh, so I, I know. What was your original question? Just circling back, it was the the Acon story. Oh, the Acon thing. Sorry, because I know you want to hear that story. I love so, uh, that. Uh, sorry that I went off on a tangent. And sorry about emotional. But um, anyway, so. Yeah, so Akon goes back to how I set up myself to be in a position at radio stations. So when Akon first came out with his first record, it was called Locked Up. A lot of people didn't like it and, and understand it. I did. So I broke it in the Northeast. Of, um, and he knew that. So we became cool. And he was like, yo, if you ever need anything, let me know. I was like, cool, I don't need anything. Right? So that's another really important thing, too, is like, I'm always paying it forward. Always. Doing things to people all the time with no agenda and I don't need anything, right? So like, and you know, I'm not dumb. I don't realize the benefit of doing that. It's not that I don't realize the benefit of doing that. 
and I haven't reaped the rewards of it. But like when I first would do it, I literally was just doing it because I just wanted to help people. Yeah. And, I, and, and then I, over time I realized, holy shit, doing things without no agenda really pays off later on because like people remember that. Most people, good people do. Right. Um, so anyways, fast forward a few years later, me and Connor like really tight now. And, um, I make this song. So I'm in the studio, like, like the, like the caption in the story reads, I'm in the studio, I'm making beats all day. It's one of those days I'm feeling like, ah, oh, I suck. So then like, we're about to turn off the, the, the music, the keyboard and stuff. And I go, you know what? Let's like give ourselves 30 minutes to make a smash. And like, like we're going to die. Like we don't do it. So me and my buddy are there and I'm like, So I'm doing the drums, right? Sorry for and like so I'm starting the melody and my buddy's over there. And I'm just like, so I'm over here, I'm like, no, make it go, make the chord progression go this way. So I start coming up with the melody, and then I usually go backwards. I start the hook is the most important part of the song. That's why it's called the hook, right? So I um I came up with that melody, I was like, all right, let me come up with the chord. I, I do the chorus and I go backwards. So even like with business, like when you set up a business model, where do you want to be? And then you go backwards to get there. I do the same thing with music, right? What's the, what's the punchline in the chorus? I write that first and then I go backwards to how do I get there, right? So then I came up with the, put the blame on me, you put the blame on me, right? And then I thought that melody was dope. So anyway, so I go, I got it. So we recorded the, made the beat in like 10 minutes and then I was like, all right, and I was driving my boy home. As I drove him home, the whole song came to me. I had to pull over on the side of the highway wow. and like and write it. And then uh, so I was like, "Man, this song would be perfect for Akon because he also was being scrutinized in the news at the time for uh, simulating sex with an underage girl on stage. He didn't know she was underage, right? It was just he's at a concert, a girl comes on. Like, so I, I get in touch with him, um, and I'm like, find out his schedule, where he's on tour, he's on tour with Gwen Stefani, <clears throat> and then uh. I go, dude, I'm gonna come find you on tour. And he laughs. Cause I'm kind of like the, I was, I'm kind of like a class clown joker a lot, right? So sometimes people think I'm joking when I'm being serious. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I'm coming on tour. I'm gonna come find you. He's like, hi, come on, man. So then I end up showing up backstage at one of his tour, at one of his shows. And he walks over, we hug, and I go, remember when you had a story to tell and nobody would listen, but I did? And he was like, yes. I go, great. I have something now that I need you to help me paint the picture. And he goes, and the reason I made that song was because at that time, Diddy, Ludacris, T.I., Jermaine Dupree, Robbie Jerkins, everybody was offering me record deals. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go make music that would be indicative of the kind of album I would make. So I was thinking, they, they're thinking I'm going to just make a hip hop album, and I wasn't, right? So clearly that's not a hip hop record, right? So then he goes, all right, cool. And I go, no, dude, I don't think you understand. I'm going to get on your tour bus for the next six days if I have to to get this song done. So he's like, all right, cool, jump on the bus. So we jump on the bus a few hours later, we were on Timberland's bus, so we had a studio in the back. So we are in the back and I sing the song. And by the way, I never sang, I'm not a great singer. <laughs> I never sang a song before. And I'm about to sing in front of the, one of the biggest pop artists in the world at the time. Yep. So he's like, he's like, all right, go in the booth and sing it. So I'm like, oh. So I'm in there, he's on the other side of the glass. So I'm singing and the beat comes on, I go, Sorry for the time I left you home. Like I just was, I just I was horrible, right? And I, you know when you're nervous, how you like short of breath, and like, like so like I'm in there like short of breath, like 
and I'm sounding horrible, and I see him look at me like through the glass. So I'm like, now I'm even more nervous because he's thinking this song sucks, yeah. right? So then anyways, I come, out, I come out of the booth, and he's like, hey, yo, son. I'm like, what's up? He goes, you just made me a hit record. Instantly, my confidence comes back. I go, yeah, I know, dude. That's what I've been trying to tell you, right? So then he goes, he goes what are you doing with this song? And, uh, and by the way, there's also another lesson right there. It's like, don't let your, a moment of feeling awkward create a lifetime of, of, of remorse, of not taking advantage of something. I could have been like, ah, oh, I don't sing good, or ah, oh, no, no, no. No, when the opportunity's there, bro, you, you fucking take it. It doesn't matter. If you got a broken leg, run across the thing. Like, if yeah. this is something that you want to do, a lot of people, like, they, 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 they get so nervous or fearful of what people will think about them or what's going what's gonna to maybe happen if they do this that they freeze up and they lose out on opportunities. Yeah. So anyways, then he goes, what are you going to do with this record? I told him why I was creating this type of record. He goes, bro, let me give you a record deal. So they're like, fuck, now Acom wants to give me a deal too? So anyways, yeah, that, that's, that's the story of how I made that record. Yeah, no, that's, that's so cool, man. Like when I, I remember like just circling back when I read the caption, I was like, this, I want to talk about this in the podcast because it, it hit me in a unique way when I read it. So that story is so epic. I want to ask you a, a couple more questions. One of them being, when you got nominated for a Grammy, where were you and what did that moment mean to you? I was in my driveway in my car and my manager called me with excitement. He goes, Hey, yo, son. <laughs> Everybody I work with is like from New York, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, back, he's like, yo, you just got nominated for a Grammy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, bro, you got nominated for a Grammy. I'm like, for what? You know, because by the way, my output of work is so ridiculously unrealistic that like, I don't even remember half the stuff that I do. Right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, God, people walk up to me constantly if I'm in an airport I'm at the mall wherever I am right and that's another thing too going back to not understanding the value that I had I didn't even realize the impact I had on culture until like three years ago because I just kept my head down yeah and I was just throwing workout throwing workout throwing workout throwing workout and then like when because I had went through a really bad divorce so it really stopped me in life mm. and like stopped me from working as much because I was just paralyzed from like the wow. stress and like everything that was happening to me like I was losing everything I worked for I lost it all. I had to give up my house, my savings account, my wealth management account, my retirement account. I had to give everything in exchange for keeping my son because I wanted custody of my son. There's no way I was going to let my best friend not, I was not going to see him every day. So, um, so I went through a huge three-year battle, like spent a quarter million dollars on lawyer fees. Like, yeah. man, if you're, if, you're, if you're somebody watching and you've got any kind of money and you're going through a divorce, figure that shit out because yeah. the only people that win a divorce is the lawyer's yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. But I mean, I, I mean, I won. I don't care about the money. I got my son. My son has been living with me for, you know, four years now. Uh, but um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. So what did that moment mean to you when you got nominated? Oh, the Grammy. Um, yeah. So, um, so it took a few minutes to sink in. I didn't really, it couldn't really compute it. Um, and then I go for what? And then uh, he's like, for Lady Gaga, she was nominated for Album of the Year. And I was like, holy crap, serious? Because we did a couple records on there, me and DJ Snake yeah. um, <clears throat> and DJ Charmy. So yeah, we got a nomination, but I also knew, I was like, who else is nominated, right? And then they were like, da 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 Adele. I was like, Adele's gonna win. We're not gonna beat <laughs> be Adele. Adele's like the hottest thing in the world this year. There's no way she's not gonna win album of the year. Yeah. So unfortunately we didn't win because of Adele, but it was amazing to be nominated in, 
you know, a lot of the awards I won, like, if you could see my room, like ASCAP awards, BMI songwriting awards, you know, Justin Bieber, Pitbull, like all these things, like, I don't even see them coming. You know what I mean? It's just like, I, when I do something, literally every single day, there's like a refresh button in my body. Okay. So if I killed it yesterday, even if I raise a million dollars for phase plan, I don't look at it like, God, I killed it this week. I'm going to chill out. Yeah. Like, that was Monday. What am I going to do Tuesday to be better than Monday? Yep. You know what I mean? It's just like this insatiable appetite, um, internal appetite I have to just constantly outdo myself. I don't compete with other people, man. Like, uh, th there's a, uh, a quote in my book uh, that I wrote. I say, um, we, uh, if you compete with yourself, you can only get better. When you compete with other people, you're only striving to be their best, which never may be as, which never may, which might never be as good as your best. Mm. Um, so that's why I never, I never look at like, man, I want to be like him. Well, I got to do what he does. Like, cause my potential may be far greater than theirs. So why would I measure what I want to be by someone else? I don't know their behind the scenes. I don't know what sucks about them. All I see is they won that thing, which could have been a fluke. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> so. Um, two more questions before we wrap up is, I know you talked about just the importance of the business side of music in your book as well. What are three, you know, just business strategies and fundamental, fundamental truths that you've learned along your journey that you'd want to tell a young entrepreneur listening today? Wow, three fundamental truths. Um, fundamental truths. I don't know about fundamental truth, but, but three uh, traits that you should uh, definitely focus on is, um, I mean, you know what's funny? The whole book, if you read the whole book, there's so many things that, I mean, this is the quintessential book at understanding how to win big in the music business. It's the book I wish I had when I was coming up, right? Um, and it, it's funny too, the principles and values you learn in this book are transferable to any industry, you know, even your personal relationships. Uh, so the reason I say that is because the underlying message, even though it's like, you know, uh, uh, actionable items and practicalities and things that you should definitely be shaping yourself to be and expect uh, to do, the underlying message is really don't be a dick, right? And like, and just work hard. Uh, but when I say work hard, it means work with a focused plan, work with uh, an agenda and an objective. And don't work uh, with, if you, if you can look at greed and ego are the two things that like destroy everything, right? So if you can approach life in any business and really dismiss yourself, disconnect yourself from those two things, you'll be amazed at how fast you can run and how high you can fly. Because those things are really, those things kick up emotions that are unnecessary. They kick up feelings and, and actions that, that you don't even need, right? So if you always go with an open heart, open mind, you'll be able to get that much farther. But I mean, I would say uh, the ability to pivot because uh, your plan's always not going to be what you wanted it to be. And a lot of people get stuck or frustrated or, or, or deflated because the plan they had in their mind didn't work out the way that, but it has to work this way. It has to. And like, bro, it, it didn't. So this way could end up being better. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people like trap themselves uh, into not understanding the benefits of being able to pivot. Um, uh, networking incredibly important for people to network and a lot of people uh, again get froze by the fact that they think I can't just talk to that person look at that kid that I just told you the story about yeah. imagine imagine he thought I was inaccessible yep. imagine he, he was too shy to talk to me 
imagine if he felt like I would shun him or he'd look stupid in front of all those other kids. It goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. Don't let a moment of feeling awkward like give you a lifetime of, resent, of uh, regret, yeah. you know what I mean, of not, not acting in that moment. Um, so, you know, networking for sure, pivoting, communication, uh, a committed focus to what your plan is. Yeah. Um, and man, this, all this so much, like, there's so much, like, one of the things that, one of the things I talk about in here is the only thing worse than having no goals is having too many goals. Mm. Right. So that's one of my chapters. And it's like nowadays, especially people your age, not you, you're very focused, but people your age, they feel like in order to be impressive, um, or, or be valuable, they have to, I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. And it's like, bro, I, what the fuck, what do you do? I don't even know who you are. Like, so I think a lot of people need to really hone down on what it is that people can connect to and associate you to. And, you know, people will say that I've had that issue coming up as an, as a, in my career because I've done so many things. But in my book, I'll show you how when I did multiple things, how I made it all make sense. Yeah. And they all tied into each other and pushed you to the next thing. Like I was a human, I was a human SEO since I started my career. Totally. All the backlinking, right? <laughs> Last question before I let you, before we wrap up is, what inspired you to write How to Win Big in the Music Business? The inspiration for writing How to Win Big in the Music Business was based on my 20-year career in the music business, doing everything from being a producer, a DJ, an artist, a publisher, a manager. I've done everything in the music business and I've succeeded at everything. I've also watched and seen um, people be misled, misinformed, misguided, yep. you know, used, uh, you know, taken advantage of, um, and I, I just watch like people blow their money on like, you know, shady people in the music business. I watch, um, I just watch so much, so many snakes in the industry, right? And there's nobody out there that's done everything that I've done that's qualified or has the reputation and resources that I have that can actually say to this multi-billion dollar industry of independent DIY artists, look, that's not the way you do it. Here's what you should be doing. I don't care who told you that or what you think, that's wrong. And let me show you better ways to help you navigate to winning big. Yep. So again, going back to my desire to just like to help other people, I looked at this as, as, a, as a way to really change the game. And there's nobody really owning that space that like, that actually gives a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? That will actually really help you and they're not just using it as a platform to make shit tons of money, which by the way, is why my book is free. You know what I mean? So. Well, I, I'll have a course and other products that if you decide you want to continue this journey, look at I'm committed for the long term. I'm here to help you pass the book because there's a lot more you're going to need to know past the book. But the book literally is the modern day guide to being able to just kick ass and really win big in the music business. So, Well, uh, the most important question of the interview is where can people stay updated with where they can get the book and where is the best place for them to follow you? Well, I'm hoping during the course of this entire interview, down here on the bottom, it has at Clinton Sparks. Yep. <laughs> you don't have to wait till the end. Um, but yeah, at Clinton Sparks on all socials. And the book uh, website is howtowinbiginmusic.com. Howtowinbiginmusic.com. Yep. And I'll make sure to link that down below so that everyone listening, you can go check that out. And pre-orders come out tomorrow as of this interview, correct? Uh, no, they're out now. Oh, they're out now. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It's go time, guys. You want to win big. It's go time. Get familiar. This is the book. You need this book. My boy, Dana John, wrote the forward. He even said, he even says, 
I would not put my name on something that I didn't think was stellar. And like, you know, Damon is somebody over the years that, you know, definitely always had his door open for me. Like whenever I had a new project or I wanted to talk to him about something, like he believed in me and my brain so much so that the door was always open. So when I said, I'm writing this book, he was like, you have to let me write this forward. Love it. Thanks so much, Clinton. Casey, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm really proud of you, man. This is really awesome. 19 years old, taking advantage. Already got to interview Larry King. <laughs> look, when we look back a few years from now, you're like, man, I got to interview Clint Sparks too. Hey, and then when, I, when I look back, I'm going to be like, I got interviewed by Casey. <laughs> <laughs> it's all up from here, baby. I appreciate it, man. It means